Three weeks have passed since the launch of South Korea's first homegrown space rocket, the Nuri. For most of us with little knowledge of the country's space project, we had a few fundamental questions like why join the space race so belatedly when it seems that countries like the U.S., powered by its billionaires, are so far ahead. But also questions lingered about the dual nature of rocket launches. What does it mean for South Korea's military capability? So we had to get some fundamental answers. So today we're joined by Professor James Clay Moltz. He's the Dean of the Graduate School of International Defense Studies at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. He has penned several books on space, including The Politics of Space Security, Crowded Orbits, and Asia's Space Race. Good morning and good afternoon to you, Professor Moltz. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I heard that, you know, we weren't supposed to be in the office today, but you went it's back the just for this day, day holiday. <laughs> We do apologize, and we appreciate you going back it's in okay. today, Glad guys. to be with you. All right, Professor Moltz, I do have to ask a few questions uh, regarding the Nuri launching first. Uh, first and foremost, what do you make of South Korea's first-ever homegrown rocket? Well, this is a significant advancement for South Korea. After all, South Korea only began its space agency, Kari, in 1989. So, you know, this has been a slow, steady process, uh, often very much underfunded, uh, and also subject to controls from the United States and uh, also the missile technology control regime. So South Korea has, a, has had a long row to hoe to get to this point today. Um, and even though the rocket was not fully successful, uh, it was a three-stage rocket, all three stages fired. The only problem uh, was a minor problem that the last stage uh, simply uh, did not fire as long as it should have. So this is a, a normal process. If you look at the SpaceX rocket that is now uh, you know, leading the world. Uh, Elon Musk started off with three failures, right? Uh, and so, you know, this is normal. Okay. And so I would not look at this as a setback. It's a, it's a learning process. Mm, so maybe we'd be better prepared for the May launch next year when we do a second launch with the Nudiho. It seems that we're getting more uh, uh, analyses telling that the, uh, the engineer is a little bit more confident they'll do better next time around. Yes, and also this was a test. There was no mm. satellite on top of the rocket. Um, you know, they they were planning uh, this as a knowledge uh, gaining exercise, mm. and so uh, you know, uh, this is again a normal process. The United States uh, failed uh, in uh, eight of eleven launches with its Vanguard rocket in the late 1950s. So again. Uh, there is no shame here uh, not to have succeeded fully. All right. I do have to ask a more fundamental question. How is this expansion on space projects actually helpful to South Korea in the long run? Well, South Korea has been hampered by its lack of access to launch. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for a, a country that wants to expand in space, and there is a lot of interest, I think, in South Korea in doing this, particularly in your commercial sector uh, and in your industry, um, it's very helpful to have a rocket. The, the SATREK initiative, which as you probably know, has exported satellites to a number of countries, now has the opportunity to also launch those satellites. And so that gives it, gives it a comparative advantage. In addition, when you look at the future of space, right now there are only uh, less than 4,000 satellites in orbit. But in 10 years, there are going to be 100,000 satellites in orbit, including mm. many mega constellations. And so this is a good time to enter the launch market. There is going to be a lot of demand uh, for satellite launches, especially for small satellites. And this is what uh, the NURI will be able to launch.
You know, we've been hearing about the potential KPS project, which would be our own self-reliant GPS system or even working towards a moon lander by the year 2030 in the country. But beyond that, what's beneficial to South Korea? Could the Made in Korea rocket be somehow be beneficial for the global community, too? Well, again, um, I think that from the perspective of filling a market niche uh, and adding to the launch mm. stable that's around the world, uh, countries and companies will be able to find a more timely launch and perhaps a cheaper launch if South Korea is able to make this a very efficient system. So that's a very good thing. In addition, uh, as the United States um, and other uh, allies uh, seek to cooperate more in the military space sector, South Korea will be able to play a much more active role. Now, I guess I never you know, approach it from a cost-effective angle. For example, maybe private sectors would want to reach out to the most affordable launcher, for example, and South Korea could be one of the many options, it seems. But I do wonder, because it seems like the tone has shifted a little bit. Maybe it's the introduction of these billionaires leading the space race, too. What does it all mean for the U.S.-Korea alliance, uh, besides, I guess, just in the private sector? Well, there's been a big change in the United States over the past decade. The uh, United States has, was largely uh, you know, self-reliant um, and focused on its own capabilities until around 2010, when we issued a new national space policy under President Obama and suggested that we need to really cooperate much more with our new space-capable allies. Mm. Uh, for example, the wideband wide global SATCOM system, a communication satellite system that serves the US military, uh, we ran out of money for that system. <laughs> and so we turned to a number of allies, including South Korea, to help us uh, fund that system. And so now we are building cooperative uh, constellations of satellites. The big benefit of this is not only cost sharing, but in addition, if we were to enter a conflict, it would be much harder to shoot down a constellation that has many more satellites in it, including allied satellites mm -hmm. and possibly commercial satellites as well. So there are mutual benefits for collective defense here for South Korea and the United States. Mm -hmm. So there are some shared agendas, perhaps, and the sharing the burden sounds like a sound thing to do. But I do wonder, because we're also talking about heightening military capabilities for countries who are joined a space race belatedly, specifically in the East Asian region. Do you think South Korea has heightened military Military tension in the region? Well, you have to keep in mind that China and Russia already have military space programs. Japan, after the Chinese anti-satellite test in 2007, began a military space program. So South Korea is not changing the groundwork here at all in terms of military space. In addition, there's no sense right now that South Korea is planning to launch weapons. South Korea is trying to use space for military support, for information, for reconnaissance over North Korea. All of these things uh, have peaceful purposes. So I do not think that uh, adversaries, even though a few may complain, uh, have really any ground to stand on here. You know, I guess you already answered this question, but just in case we didn't cover all grounds, is the United States absolutely okay with South Korea developing these homegrown rockets? Because it doesn't seem like there was any uh, back and forth or any kind of uh, negative sort of feedback coming from the United States. Well, as you probably know, the United States policy has changed mm -hmm. over several decades, right? In the 1970s, when we provided Nike Hercules uh, missile technology to South Korea, 
we made South Korea sign an agreement uh, that limited the range of any rockets it might have to 180 kilometers. And so, you know, that was out of fear that uh, these could be used offensively and that a war might start on the Korean Peninsula. Mm -hmm. I think the U.S.-South Korean relationship has evolved significantly since that time. There's much greater trust. Uh, and in addition, we've seen South, excuse me, we've seen North Korea violate a, a variety of UN sanctions against its nuclear and its missile programs. Uh, and so, you know, there is no longer any restraint in the North. And so why should South Korea uh, unilaterally limit itself? And so I think the United States recognized that fact uh, and was willing to change the rules about South Korea's rocket program. And again, this is a rocket program and the, the NURI relies uh, largely on its, in its first two stages on liquid fuel rockets, which are not very effective for uh, ballistic missile use. All right. Uh, but now we're talking about the strengthened uh, U.S.-South Korea relationship. But why is South Korea not seen as a threat by either Russia or China? If we had to divide up sides, they're not necessarily always on the same page with South Korea. Well, that's true. But the relationship between, mm -hmm. for example, Russia and South Korea has been very close in the space field. As you know, uh, the NARO space facility was built in part with assistance from Russia. In addition, uh, the NARO-1 or KSLV-1 rocket uh, was based on a Russian Angara first stage. Uh, and so their space relations are very good. Uh, Yi so Yun, uh, South Korea's uh, only astronaut, flew on a Russian rocket, right? So um, I don't think that there's any fear in Russia about South Korea's space program. Mm. In China, of course, China has a much more advanced space program than South Korea. Uh, it, it also has a very strong trade relationship with South Korea. And so while there are those on the far right wing of the political spectrum in China who say that you know, the United States is pushing South Korea to develop rockets and potentially missiles, uh, I think that that is, is really loose talk uh, and rhetoric and is not uh, based on the facts. Mm. I do wonder, because this launching of the Nurio just three weeks ago is perhaps just the first test to get more data on what needs to be done going forward. Uh, based on your professional uh, analyses, what do you think going forward, what kind of advancements technological do you think Kari needs to focus on as far as South Korea's space projects go? If you look at the rocket itself, it's already showing advanced uh, clustering of engines. Uh, and so that has been a, a big step forward for South Korea to be able to use multiple engines uh, in a single launch and then be able to use those engines in subsequent stages or to develop uh, additional boosters. Uh, South Korea, I know, is also investigating possible use of strap-on boosters or possible solid uh, boosters to make the rocket uh, more advanced and to have additional thrust so that it can carry larger payloads uh, as well as payloads to geostationary orbit much higher uh, for communications purposes um, or early warning of, of missile attacks, those sorts of things, or in addition, deep space or lunar research. And mm -hmm. so a larger rocket would be very helpful. But I think the big issues for South Korea right now are number one, reliability, uh, because it has to show the international marketplace that it is a reliable rocket. Uh, and then secondly, uh, it has to be cost effective. It is not competitive with um, other major launch systems in the international marketplace, then South Korea will have trouble selling it, obviously, uh, to commercial satellite makers. Mm.
Um, this was actually not in the questionnaires that we proposed, but because we have you here, Professor Moltz, I, I do want to ask, uh, billionaires uh, joining uh, hands with NASA to help fuel the American space program. I mean, there are some criticisms as to maybe privatizing the sector is not the best way to spend billionaires' money. What are your two cents on that topic? Well, billionaires are free to spend their money however they want to. Um, and so I am perfectly happy to see them spend money on space uh, and helping us understand space, helping us uh, develop space, helping more people visit space. I think those are all good things. Um, I think to some degree, these programs have actually helped NASA. Uh, the program that Elon Musk runs, the SpaceX Commercial Crew Program, has actually reduced the cost of sending astronauts to the space station uh, very significantly. Yeah. Uh, and so this is a benefit to NASA. It, it allows them to send more people to into space. Uh, it allows us to take money that we used to spend on those transportation services and apply them to scientific research. Yeah. Uh, so so I think this is a, is a very positive development. Uh, going forward, do you see maybe SpaceX is leading this conversation to reusing some of the rockets because building and sending it off, it's also a massively costly project, right? So could we use utilize maybe going forward the same rocket into second, third, fourth, fifth launches? Well, certainly, if you look at what SpaceX is doing and what Blue Origin is yeah. doing, both of them have shown uh, and demonstrated the ability to reuse uh, rocket boosters. And, and certainly that economizes on construction costs and allows them to reduce the, the price of rockets going forward. Mm. But the, the other thing I wanna mention just so for your audience understands is that it's not just billionaires that are active in space. I mean, one of the areas of research that I do looks at American commercial startup companies. Mm. And there are hundreds of commercial startup firms, very, some of them very small, uh, started by young engineers with new ideas, uh, and they're bringing new technologies onto the marketplace. And these are not, you know, rich people, right? Mm -hmm. They are young people with new ideas that are uh, getting uh, investment investors to to trust them uh, and to invest in their companies. And we see this in space manufacturing. We see this in Earth observation. We see this in communications uh, and in many other fields. And so um, it's not just the billionaires that are are being more active in space. It's mm -hmm. it's a lot of young entrepreneurs. And I hope that happens in South Korea too. You know, I heard for the first time with the launching of the Nuriho in Korea that there are in fact a lot of these small and medium-sized enterprises with some young engineers with hopeful thinking, uh, really reaching for the stars and seeing hope in this industry. So I can see how that's that answers, I think, bigger questions about next generation engineers and scientists. Can I also add, can yeah. I also add that yeah. you know, uh, one of the companies that I follow is one that's called Leo Labs that is based in California, and they are tracking orbital space debris. And so they're trying to help prevent uh, collisions uh, and the trashing, if you will, of yeah. the orbital environment by orbital space debris, by tracking all those objects and making sure that spacecraft don't hit them. And so that's a good thing for all humanity. All right. I think you've rounded out a conversation so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Again, we apologize uh, for making you go back into the office on your sort of day off. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for inviting me. I hope this was helpful. It was incredibly helpful. We hope to speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.